0: One of my goals for the show this year is to bring on more boots-on-the-ground builders, guys who are actually doing it right, getting it right, and doing so with some unique ideas that the rest of us may find of value. We're off to a really good start with this guest today, Wally Staples. Wally's a builder out of Maine and was referred to me by David Gerstel, who's a repeat guest. And David sent me this intro email. I really think that he says it better than I can to set this interview up. So I'm going to just paraphrase a few of these bullet points David sent in this intro. Wally has zero debt and has refused to take on debt since he started his business career nearly three decades ago. Employees come first. The customer is not always right. While he has a huge respect for craftspeople, he points out that they can do something, build homes that'll house families for centuries that few people are capable of. For safety's sake and to minimize overhead and to enable good work, he keeps equipment in excellent condition. He has a generous profit sharing plan with his employees. He insists on professional behavior and commitment to first-class work by all employees. He has a design-build firm with 10 employees, which, in David's opinion, is the sweet spot for residential construction companies. And he has never, I repeat, never laid anyone off for lack of work. Oh, and he he maintains solid profit margins and refuses to cut margins during recessions. So enough said, let's get to it. Wally, let's just start out with a little bit of uh, background and history on you and your building company up there in Maine.
1: Sure. Well, Jared, one thing I did want to mention as, as I thought about this is really appreciate this uh, podcast and platform you put together. I have uh, have listened to a bunch of the other guests you've had, and and I have learned uh, some things from them. And uh, I know that you're a professional builder as I am, and it's a sacrifice to take the time, so really appreciate that. Uh, my company is located in Brunswick, Maine. Um, we're a residential building contractor. Uh, we build new homes and we complete uh, renovations. So I was a pretty young guy. Uh, I as a kid, I always knew that uh, I enjoyed doing carpentry work. My brother and I used to build you know, dog houses and tree houses and different forts and things. And I, I really do believe at a young age, I knew I wanted to be a carpenter. So I'm a carpenter by trade, but. Uh, Needed to come out of the field at some point to grow my business. Uh, We work right along the mid coast of Maine. Uh, We're in Brunswick, which is between uh, Freeport, Maine, where L.L. Bean is located, and uh, Bath, Maine, where the shipbuilders are, uh, and have had the opportunity to build for some of the most wonderful people, uh, I feel, uh, that anybody could build for, uh, and have had wonderful employees to help me do that. And so I guess uh, I'll share whatever I can with my life's experience and, and being a builder and, and maybe someone to pick up a nugget. I know that I do from others. So appreciate you having me on.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. David Gerstel made the introduction between you and I, and he had uh, the highest level of praise for you and your company. Tell us a little bit more about the type of projects you guys do. Up there in Maine, you're on the coast. Maybe this is ignorance speaking, but I would imagine there are a lot of people with second homes up there. Are you building primarily second homes, primarily primary residences, or what does it look like?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, being on the coast of Maine, uh, it's a very attractive uh, second home location. So a lot of our, our clients are, are not necessarily you know, full-time Maine folks, uh, which we have no problem with. We love having them come and, and buy the properties and, and build new and, and renovate what they have. Uh, Southern New England for sure uh, comes into our market a lot. Uh, we have Bowdoin College in Brunswick, and that brings a lot of folks to the area. And I think they discover it and, and decide to maybe have a summer home and or retire. Uh, and I think people from all over the country. We just finished up a new home uh, in West Bath on the New Meadows River for some folks. They uh, came from Indiana. Uh, they vacationed in Maine, and uh, they both were professors at in Indiana State, and just loved the the coast of Maine. And so. Uh, it's great to meet people from all over the country, uh, but there's a bunch of folks that are just people from, from Maine that we build for as well. Uh, I think it's a diverse, uh, a diverse area where there's been people from all over the, the country, maybe the world that have landed in our market. So we meet some really interesting people. So it's been very rewarding, both in the ability to build projects for them, but to meet some really, really neat people.
0: Are you building primarily new or are you doing primarily remodels?
1: You know, I started out as a young guy building all new. Uh, I was a new construction guy, and uh, I've been at it for a while. I started in 1993 as a kid in my early 20s, and so I've had, I feel, the the blessing of going through all different types of markets. And uh, started in a slower time, uh, and I've learned a lot. You know, if you go through, uh, been through the Great Recession 10, 12 years ago, and uh, and we've gone through some really good years and and whatnot, but. I learned fairly early on that if you, if you just concentrate, at least in our market, now we are a pretty small market compared to where you would be at or many of the people maybe that are listening, uh, is to, to balance it out with some, some renovation work that makes sense for our company and for the folks that we have working for us along with the new construction. So uh, we do both, uh, I think dollar-wise, volume-wise. Uh, we're probably about even with new construction and uh, renovation work. Uh, have multiple lead carpenters, and we try to use their their skills, you know, to what they're best at. And uh, one of my one of my lead carpenters has been with me going on twenty years. It'll be twenty years in March, and he's uh, he's all new construction. If I put him in a uh, a kitchen renovation or a bathroom renovation, uh, it's not where he's best suited. He can do the work, but he is uh, a much bigger project uh, mind, and so he's he likes project management, bigger projects, and so we uh, have been able to do both types of projects with the same company and it can be successful if you use the right carpenters uh, for the right projects and it's uh it's something that i don't know that i would ever get away from now because uh, it has kept us busy uh we've been busy since we started Uh, there's been times where it's been leaner there's been times when it's been busier but we've always had work ahead of us i'm proud to say never laid off a person in twenty eight years
0: wow that is extremely impressive i want to get into why you guys have always been busy in fact but let's b- before we jump into that let me ask you to fill us in on the makeup of your team This is always interesting whenever i talk to you guys on the coast or or in the northern states y'all have a lot of uh, y'all structure companies a little differently so here here in my part of the world we rely very heavily on subcontractors. So our carpenters, you know, most everybody is a subcontractor other than the management level of our company. So our, you know, construction superintendents, construction managers, office personnel, that's who we have on salary on our team. And then everybody else is usually subcontractors. So I'd love to hear the makeup of your company.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think, and certainly there's companies that are similar to maybe what you folks are doing. And I, I think your market is probably large enough to, you know, to, to approach that. We, we have found, I think in, in Maine, especially in New England, there's a lot of just crass people that want to just go out and do the work um, and they don't want to run their own business. So they wouldn't even want to be a subcontractor. They want to work for someone. So that lends itself well to us. Uh, we have found that it's, it works. Our model works well by having the in-house employees so that we can control the schedule, uh, the the quality and so forth. There was a lot of of potential risk because of the slippage with man hours and things like that. We do use subcontractors as well to even do framing and do other parts of the carpentry work. That's the only way we've been able to grow our company over the years. I don't, I think nationwide, certainly in new England and Maine uh, is there's, Definitely a shortage of younger people going into the trades, and and I am uh, uh, someone who is trying to expose some young folks to uh, to maybe potentially going into the trades and all the all the great things that, and rewarding things that can come from that. But uh, until then, we do need to turn to some of those um, those subcontractor crews, and if they're high standard, uh, it can really be a wonderful relationship. And uh, we found some really good uh, you know contractors that. Uh, they're doing it right. They have their own payroll. They have, you know, maybe two or three, four guys that work for them and they can go in and do a project for us on a fixed cost. And uh, it's been a wonderful relationship, but I would say we probably 75% or more of our work is done with in-house crews. And then the balance would be with those subcontractor crews. This is the, uh, you know, the the standard subcontracts is the excavation, the subcontracts do the plumbing and electrical and things like that. But uh, in at least the way that I have, approached it. Uh, it's worked well with having the in-house folks. Uh, but uh, I think if we had a situation, say we was to build out a subdivision, I think your method would probably be something I would really look at because I think the efficiencies and keeping the numbers maybe where the market would need to be would be easier. We build custom homes and many everybody has a budget. Even the people that tell you they don't have a budget, have a budget. <laughs> and we sure. find it eventually. <laughs> but when you're when you're building a custom home for some folks, you know, maybe you don't have to be as conscious as of the, uh, you know, the market value of the appraisals and things like that, because people will build what they want to build if they have the funds to do it. Uh, But there, I think there's definitely a model um, to be used with how you folks are doing it. And I, and I observe and I've seen others doing it that way. And I think it works out well. Uh, But for us, that's how we've done it. Uh, I have found, and we'll talk a little more about how to take care of your employees. If you can, if you can get good people on your team, Uh, is is, it's really uh, amazing uh, how confident you can be and that you can produce what you say you're going to because you have those folks that have uh, been with you for a long period of time and they go out there and they take care of uh, the the customer the way they need to be taken care of and we produce on time on budget and uh, it's been a it's been you know something that we have gotten better at uh, over the years I'm always striving to be better but part of it was transparency sharing with elite carpenters you know man hours and the different things that go into it but our lead carpenters are project managers as well. So they're the ones that are overseeing those sub-trades out in the field. So they're multi-talented uh, folks. They uh, not only do the building and oversee the, the carpentry crew, but they also oversee those subcontract crews out there. Uh, it took me years to let that go. Uh, but one of my lead carpenters said, hey, nobody knows what's going on in that site better than I do. Let me line the plumber up because I'll tell them what day I need them without having to go back to them. or if I do, I can adjust pretty easily. Uh, so they're um, they're they're project managing as well as doing the lead carpenter work and and uh, doing the building. So it's worked well for us uh, and uh, like I said, we have gravitated towards some of the subcontractors recently to help us get more volume done. but I'm more of a tortoise than a rabbit, so i will uh, we'll turn down work if we can't if can't get to it with the right people.
0: That's a skill that's actually hard learned, is it not? I've come to that same conclusion, but it took me some difficult lessons to arrive at that.
1: Yeah, there's. I think we all have a can have a tendency to maybe see a really great project on paper. It's like, boy, I want to build that. You know, I want to be a part of that. Uh, There's two parts to it. One, are we geared best to build that project? And two, is this the right client for us? Uh, People are people. I, I will say this: we have worked absolutely for some of the finest folks anybody could work for. And I would say at least 100 to one, uh, you know, the, the, the experience has been great. Occasionally, we'll get somebody that maybe wasn't the right fit for us. And uh, we missed it. Uh, somehow, maybe our eyes got glossed over because the project looked really good. Uh, and we we just won't build for them in the future. If, it, you know, we will fulfill, we will make sure everything is done to the T and uh, everybody is happy. But if they made it more difficult, we're going to move on from it. And we take them off the Christmas card list. What we're saying we literally take them off the Christmas card list. We just, <laughs> we don't, we don't, uh, if they contacted us and they will, because we will satisfy them, but they made it more difficult on on the folks doing the work. And it's just too many good people to work for. So uh, I think as a younger builder, I probably had a tendency to, to take on projects that uh, I probably shouldn't have. Uh, and I, I have no horror stories to share. I mean, it's, we've had some, you know challenges, but not like oh wow, this was like you know put me out of business or anything like that. It just hasn't happened that way. Uh, good instincts, maybe, but we have developed a much better process for qualifying uh, folks uh, at this point. And so we just work for really great people. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's uh, some of it is just life's experience, right? You just kind of learn and as you go, uh, developing a, a process and a system where people can decide whether we're the right folks. They should be qualifying us. We should be qualifying them, and. I think it's worked out quite well for us and we've had uh, wonderful people to work for. Uh, we have to be able to make a profit. Otherwise we shouldn't be in business. And so you need to have people that understand that as well. And, and uh, the folks we work for have, have been uh, wonderful.
0: Let's stay on that for a second before we move on to questions I wanted to ask. You say you've got a good system for qualifying people. Can you give us a few examples of what that looks like?
1: Yeah, so what, what we did after many years, I, I felt uh, one of the places we could have done, we could do better was trying to eliminate allowances uh, in our construction agreements. And so rather than putting an allowance in for the kitchen, the plumbing fixtures, the flooring and things like that, and just getting to a construction agreement done and signed off and then doing all those things after the fact, which led to schedule issues at times uh, because things didn't get selected and ordered in time, but also no matter what you gave for an allowance it seemed uh, you didn't give me enough is what folks would say Uh, so uh, there's a lot that goes into estimating a project as you know accurately uh, to build a new house or do a renovation Uh, and there is no such thing as a free estimate and so because it costs the contractor the time you could have many many hours wrapped up into something so there's many different methods of doing this Uh, i know uh, some folks get paid to do the estimates or that, that part of the project. Uh, We do a design build uh, process, meaning that we use a design build agreement uh, so that we have an upfront commitment before we do any design work where you have the builder, the designer and the homeowner at the same table, which I think is a a great process. But we also um, have that assurity that we're going to actually build something. And we're very clear with folks when we meet with them. So say someone contacts us and they want to build a new home. We'll schedule the time. Uh, We'll do some qualifications. Sometimes budgets just aren't going to work. And so you can diplomatically let folks know. But if it seems like a good fit, we'll schedule the time to meet at our office and we'll go through our design build process. Uh, There's zero pressure with this. And I I sort of love about the process too. Uh, We sit down with them. We've developed what we call a new construction information sheet. And we'll go down through that sheet and ask questions, get answers. Uh, And then maybe with some preliminary plans that they've given us, we're able to give them a target budget range based on the things we've talked about, and there's a lot of things that go into it. In Maine, uh, you maybe don't deal with it in Texas so much, but we're right on the coast, so ledge is a is a uh, something we run into. And I, I jokingly say this with some truth: the only person who hopes this ledge there is the ledge blaster, because the homeowner pays for it, the excavator has to deal with it. It's it's just an added cost to that construction process that uh, nobody wants. But if you build on the coast of Maine, you're likely going to be blasting ledge. But we'll go down through those things then we'll put together kind of a of what we feel the project would cost based on those answers and use a square foot price to come up with a with a budget range uh, i do not like square foot pricing i think that is it is not something anybody sh- well it, people have to run their own business but for me using it to to do quotes i don't think is is going to work doing a quick estimate it makes sense uh to see if the the budget's going to work you know for what they'd like to do uh, and then we, we go through the process of what the next step would be, and that would be we put a design build agreement in place and use that as a target bid, uh, budget. And then we'll develop the plans and do an estimate where we really can get after it. At the end of this meeting, there is the, the way that we approach it, we present that design build agreement. Uh, and we, we tell folks that some folks want to sign it immediately, and there is a down payment that goes with it. It's, it's small, it's just meant to be a you know commitment. Uh, and if they're ready that's fine but more often than not we'll say we want you to digest this we want you to think this through because this isn't a a design agreement this is a design build agreement we're going to help you design it but we're going to build it Uh, and we also will encourage folks at that time if they did want to talk to other builders that's the time to do it Uh, so many times you know and i was younger i probably fell for this too folks would call three to five builders and they they have a you know, a poor plan they took off the internet and they, they contact a bunch of buildings and say, hey, you know, quote this house for me. Uh, and, you know, we're all looking at like, hey, this is great. I'm going to, you know, get after this. And there's so many things missing on the plan. But you're thinking, well, I'll just do my best with it. You put together a construction agreement based on a lot of unknowns. And uh, really, the homeowners confused at that point. They don't know. They're just looking at the last page. Who was the least expensive uh, on, on the, they the quoted it. Uh, and then they go from there. That's not a good way to build a new house or complete a renovation. It's far better to commit to somebody up front uh, and have them go to work for you. Uh, and so we we approach it like that. And then I, our success ratio with presenting a design build agreement, going through that process, if we've qualified well, is very, very high. Then we can go to work and actually value engineer the project. Uh, if it's a new house in Maine, we have, like I mentioned, ledge. We have a lot of trees. So, you know, there's clearing and stumping and things are going to it. How long is the drive we're going to be? You know, how, if we're going to go underground power, we got to think about, you know, blasting ledge for that and, and whatnot. Uh, so we're going through a process of getting to the very tightest net number for our customer. And uh, you can do that if you have that commitment from them that you're going to build for them. If you don't have that, you can literally spend 50 plus hours, you know, putting this all together for somebody, for them just to say, ah, oh, it's too much money or we're just not going to do it. Now, there can be times where people decide after the fact that they just can't move forward with it. It's very rare, uh, but uh, what we're trying to do is, is try to align with the folks that think our process is the right one for them, and if it's not, we're totally fine with it, and I, I love meeting new people, so there's no problem at the end of the meeting if they say, you know what, this isn't the direction we're going to go. We're going to do something different. Uh, I, I encourage them to find another builder if it's a better fit, but commit to them and do the same thing. Uh, There's not a lot of builders, unfortunately, in our market that are doing it this way. They're doing the old, uh, you know, send me the plans and I'll uh, put together something and hope for the best. Uh, I don't think that ends up being the best value for the for the client either because you run into change orders that way. Because here here would be an example: if you don't write a clear scope of work for your excavation contractor, and a lot of the the building we do up here in Maine, there's private septic systems because they're not on town water and sewer many times because they're more rural. Uh, and there's no septic design many times early on into that process, because we're gonna to wanna to try to find the, locate the house and things like that. If the excavation contractor just carries an allowance of the septic system, they may carry it as a three bedroom system uh, without knowing that it's gonna be a four bedroom. And so uh, if they don't carry a number that's gonna cover a four bedroom, that turns into a change order uh, early on in the phase of building. And that's just, nobody wants to start out a relationship like that. Uh, so better off do that due diligence upfront. With renovations, you know, an example would be uh, if you're going to renovate a kitchen or a bathroom, bring the plumber in. We have older housing in Maine and a lot of it is cast plumbing. Let's get the plumber in that basement and look at it. If they're going to tie into cast, we want them to know about it. We want them to quote that into their proposal uh, rather than, again, getting there and saying, oh, I thought it was BBC. And now we're going to do a whole bunch of work. So it's going to cost additional. Uh, cost. So we're working with folks that give us that commitment so we can give them the tightest net number and then we can put the margin fix takes to run our, our business. And I feel it's a much, much better value for the homeowner when we do it that way. A lot, a lot of work up front. You've made all your decisions up front. But when this, this construction agreement is signed, literally all the selections have been made so we can order that day or the next day. We could order kitchen cabinetry, we could order plumbing fixtures, flooring, whatever we need to those longer lead time things before we even put the foundation in. Uh, and with COVID nineteen, this process has really been an asset to us because the the supply chain issues have been really challenging. We've we've ordered appliances, for instance, uh, you know when when we're putting a foundation in, uh, and they show up, you know, just in the nick of time. Some don't show up; we've had challenges with that too. But if you can order early, uh, it's certainly helping us. So that's the kind of the process we've developed with it is trying to get some information enough to tell someone where they where we legitimately feel the cost of the project's going to come in so they can make that decision based on that uh, never want to be someone that tells somebody it's going to be less than it's going to be because i think that's that's not going to be good for any of us uh we'd rather be you know right in that range we have to use a target range because some of their selections will factor into that but uh i we have been using that process now since about 2013 is when we evolved into that uh and it's um, it's been very effective and and we track very carefully uh our our i guess our sales closing ratio and uh 100 in 2020 uh 100 of the design build agreements that we had turned into construction agreements we built the project so uh the relationship's working and uh it's working for us with the volume that we do so that's how we do it
0: yeah you know something you said that is just uber critical is to Create a an accurate budget to not go too artificially low to win people's business, not go too low because you're just an optimist by nature and you feel yeah. like you can, if everything goes right, you can hit it. It's so important to have an accurate number that can truly be built for because... Really, m- most all litigation, most all civil litigation lawsuits, if you really look at it, come down to money on some level. And especially in, in the home building industry, it's almost always around something around, around money. So you protect yourself doing that, you protect your client. I think it is a great practice. Like what you do, spending so much time up front in the pre-construction phase, we do the same. We fix our prices because we're so confident with. We do fixed price. Yeah. We we believe we believe in our prices. We have it all sorted out up front, like you guys do. Do you fix your prices also?
1: We do. We do everything by contract pricing. It, unless it was a small a smaller project, maybe we. we I, I've just found, and uh, and I'm sure there's people that have smarter and more successful than I that would say no cost plus is the way to go and I think you recently had some fellows on that talked about that I haven't listened to their podcast yet but I, I, I'm open to listen to it I know it's been a model that there's been some very successful folks in our area that have used but for me I've, I want everybody to be on the same page this is what it's going to cost it eliminates any uh, questions later on there's legitimate um, you know additional costs and we, we have two things that we have a change order change order would be with something changed Maybe it was unforeseen. An additional work order, somebody added something. If we're building a, a cape and they and they was going to put skylights in the front and they changed to dormers, that's going to cost additional. So they're getting something for it though. Uh, I'm proud to say we've built thousands of projects uh, in the 28 years I've been in business. I've never been in the court of law. I never will be. I uh, don't need to be. I've never even, I've, I've never not been paid. We've always had uh, great folks. Now there's been times where we needed to to talk some things through with folks and make sure we was all on the same page, and maybe we each compromised a little bit because it was a misunderstanding. And I think that's just what wise business people and homeowners do—you just talk it through. But uh, it it can be done without having that you know uh, that situation turn really, really sour and ugly. And uh, I hear it, I, I see it uh, around, and and I just have never been a part of it, and I don't ever want to be so. I feel by having fixed costs right up front, uh, there should be no, uh, no questions that, you know, what's due when the project's done. Whether you say it like this, whether you pay us all up front, pay us as we go, you pay us at the end, you get the same project. And, uh, and we do it that way. We build homes on no construction loan, you know, turnkey and, and get paid at the closing. Uh, and uh, they're going to get the same project if they paid us, you know, as we went. Uh, but I feel fixed pricing is the way to go for my company. Uh, I'm always open to listen to others and their approach, but for me it's worked out well uh, and I I don't intend to change that. So we'll continue on.
0: Yeah. This business is, it's so diverse with the different practices you can employ, whether it's cost plus or fixed price. And at the end of the day, I I really believe that most any system can work if it's well, if it's well executed, there's some great cost plus builders and sometimes it's, it's, necessary. If you're going to be doing a $10 million home that is going to take several years to build and you don't know what prices are going to do over that time, cost plus is, is almost mandatory. Yeah, Reisinger, who's been on our podcast, he's, he's a fantastic builder here in town and really well known. He does really high end homes and does cost plus and I know he's got a fantastic reputation. So it can be done well and can be executed well just as you know fixed price can like what you and I do absolutely let's talk about profit margins for a second because you said you've you've always been paid and I know from what david was telling me about you and your company that you've also always made money even during recessions so is it, is there a secret to that
1: I think there's two parts to it, at least for me. and I, Because I have been in it for a while. Now I have a, a lot of history to look back at. And, and I will be honest, when I started out as a young guy, I became a builder because I, I was good with my hands. I could do the, the carpentry part of it. but and, and that's where it doesn't transfer a lot of times with folks that are in the trades, uh, like the E-Myth, the Michael Gerber books. He talks about that. And a perfect example would be a carpenter or a plumber or an electrician. Why'd they start their business? Because they was good at what they did uh, and they decided they didn't want to work for someone else. They go out on their own, uh, but they maybe don't know how to run a business that's profitable, and they they would be far better off uh, maybe working for you know a company that knows how to run it, and they would get the benefits and the the work that way. But for me, uh, early on, it was just a, a little bit of guesswork. But as I've moved along, I have certainly understood how you need to price your work in order to to make that that bottom line net profit that it takes to run your company. Uh, there, part of that for me has been uh, running a, a lean and uh, a debt-free company. Uh, this is where David and I, I think David Gerstel and I line up quite well. Uh, I had an opportunity to talk to him on the phone. Uh, he had reached out to us through our website. Uh, he had heard a, a different podcast I did with the Tim Fowler show. And, and I had known Tim for years. He'd done some training with us and he'd asked me to do one uh, being from Maine and, and David had heard it. And we talked and we just had a connection. Um, He's a different generation, him and my mom are the same age, but uh, we have uh, the thought process on running a a lean company so that you can keep your overhead low and take really good care of your client and your employees. Uh, And that's been uh, my formula with it. And so uh, how I feel you keep that margin is uh, there's, for me, what what I realized was, as I built a reputation in my community, Uh, people start to respect if if Waller J Staples Builder says, this is what it's going to cost. This is how the process is going to go. They respect it and they trust you. Uh, So they are not feeling like, well, I should get, you know, a bunch of other people to give me pricing. No, they realize that our system and process is working to give them the best value. So if you develop that reputation uh, you attract really great clients to work for. Uh, And through that, and now, we live in a, I live in a small market, so this may not be the case in a bigger market. There's only so much work that you can do. There's only so much volume. And we have generated far more opportunities even since I started out with just myself uh, until I hired my first employee three months in and until I've grown up to where I am now. Uh, always have had more opportunities come in uh, in good times and in bad times than we could do. And so you can be more selective and, and you can find the folks that fit your process. And if you do that, you can price your jobs where they need to be, and you can make that profit that, that you need to to, to, to one, produce the project the way that you proposed it. And I think that's so important. If you can, you want to build a good reputation, you give people everything they expected and maybe a little bit more. And that's how I've approached it and it's worked out well for me. Uh, I find that uh, recessions actually, and I may be a little odd on this, are good for small businesses, maybe good for big businesses, but for small businesses, Uh, It gives you, it slows you down just enough so that you can look at some of the waste and you can trim it uh, because it's not a value to the homeowner if you're carrying a bunch of of fat and charging them for it because you're not being efficient or you're not doing things as well as you could just because you can get away with it. Uh, I look at it kind of like a forest fire. Forest fire comes in and it burns off the dead, you know, the dead brush and things and new growth comes in and and construction, it burns off the dead beets, you know, it gets rid of the people maybe that, uh, shouldn't be in our business. There's no licensing in, in the state of Maine, uh, and so anybody can get into it. Uh, David said they do have license in California, but it doesn't really change anything. So don't be hopeful if you do get licensed. And he said, but uh, I feel like if you can get to the best clients that, that trust you, and you work together uh, to develop that project, you can charge the margin it takes to run your your company. I th- I think that the reality is, uh, you know, I have a, a nice uh, you know nice business that has nice equipment and. And a, a nice shopping office and so forth. And maybe from the outside, appeal, like I have higher overhead than other folks maybe do, but uh, my, our office and shop is located on a road that leads to one of the local l- you know, lumber yards. And I watch <laughs> I watch these guys drive by with a new pickup truck every year or two, and I think they probably have a $700 payment on that thing for however many years. Uh, I drive a pickup truck that's much older than that, and it's been paid for since the day that I bought it. Uh, and, and so we can have much lower overhead by owning what we have and taking care of it. I have trucks that are 10 plus years old. You would never know that they're taken really good care of in the housed in a shop. Uh, but our overhead would be lower because it's spread over multiple crews. And so if you can do that, you can actually produce a project if you do good estimating and put the margin it takes when you run a lean company, it'd be a much better value than the truck in the truck or the, in the van that's rolling by in his new pickup truck because his accountant told him to buy it so he could get a little bit of tax savings. I've, I've never understood that, it seems silly. I'm definitely, if it makes sense to buy a piece of equipment uh, and you need it and you can take the depreciation, you should do it and I'll do it, but I'm not gonna buy a new pickup truck because my accountant told me to do that. I'm gonna do it because I need a <laughs> new pickup truck. Uh, so it's, uh, for, for me, I feel like the, the margin has been, I've been able to maintain that margin because of the, the process we've come through with, the reputation, the goodwill, so to speak, in the market. Uh, that we work for the, the best clients that we possibly can. And they understand that and they see value. I think I've been through enough recessions that uh, honestly, I think people see the value in working with somebody like us at that time, because it, that's harder than money. And they're not going to take any chances in those times. Uh, and they would follow the work with somebody they know uh, is going to follow through and get that project completed the way that they're proposing it. Uh, than take a chance with somebody else that maybe won't be there. Uh, and, uh, it's worked well f- for us, and and literally have we've been able to make a profit every single year uh, since we've started a business over 28 years ago. Some years have been have been better years than others, but uh, we have a pretty steady uh, profit margin that we've been able to maintain.
0: You talk about waste in the form of new trucks every few years and financing those trucks. You guys obviously don't do that, from what you're saying, and I think that's a great mentality. Can you tell us a little bit more about how else you view waste? Where should where as builders should we be looking for waste in our companies besides that area, which is a good one?
1: Yeah. With us, because we use the the in-house carpenters so much, the one of the things, the wisest thing that I ever started doing when it comes to to in-house labor was sharing the man hours that are factored into that project with the lead carpenters so that they have, you know, targets. They if they're in the dark, they don't know. Uh, they could they could feel like, well, oh, you know, Wally's probably got so much time into this, you know, whatever it takes, it takes. Uh, we want them to be aware of that. So we've developed, we're, we're still a little old school. We use what's called a job binder uh, and we can put it on, you know, they all have, all lead carpenters have a, a company iPad and iPhone. Yeah, and so in those jobs, uh, job binders, it includes the man hours. It's kind of broken down in tasks. Say it was a new construction home. It's going to talk about, starting out with a sill plate right through the subfloor, you know, the first floor walls, things like that. And so the lead carpenter has the ability to work within those, those man hours. And what I found through that, uh, the efficiency part of it was is maybe the lead carpenter has a four man crew and they may realize some jobs, they don't need four, four guys on their crew. They only need three. And so they can uh, look ahead and they can have maybe a guy on their crew, maybe a great carpenter, but they're just not needed there. And they're burning a man hour, put them with a different crew. And so uh that's trimming, uh, that's helping us be more efficient so that we're giving the homeowners a better value. So we're not, you know, paying for a carpenter that's not able to, you know, be productive on that site. Uh, there is certainly, I think, with the cost of materials the way they are today, and uh, I'm sure it's probably that way in your market as well, uh, they've spiked up a lot. And we, we do not want to be wasting anything. And so we want to be very careful uh, with optimizing things, now this goes all the way back to the design of the building. Uh, some of the roof lines that architects and designers, you know, draw, they look nice, but in our climate, we have snow and ice to consider too. But there's a lot of waste, and if you're paying, you know, forty dollars a sheet for sheathing, it's, it has a different factor than when it's twenty. And so you're trying to value engineer that and be as careful as you can with it. There's always places that you can be more efficient, and I think that the, the biggest cost for somebody that has in-house employees typically is going to be labor. Uh, you know, if you're a debt-free company, you're not just paying payments on things. Is labor, which ties into, you know, workers' compensation and the benefits package and payroll taxes and things. So we want to get all that we can out of those hours that we're working, and we want as many of them to be directly billable to that job. Uh, and your your method of subcontracting many of the parts of it is easier to do than with in-house employees. But I look at it like this. If, I, if we have carpenters in our shop and they're not, you know, building, you know, cabinets or a built-in or something like that. And they're just organizing the shop. That's all good, but that's an overhead expense. And so we want to be careful with that as much as we can. So always looking for ways just to be the most efficient we can when producing that job uh, on time and on budget. And the one of the ways that I've found is just be very open with the people that are working with you and, uh, and it it pays off. And, And I'll talk a little bit. I think one of the questions you had was about our profit sharing, um, if we do that, it gives everybody an incentive too, because we want to stay on budget. Because if, say, we're upside down on man-hours by 100, that's completely coming out of our profit. Uh, and that's going to affect profit sharing. So everybody understands that. We're not changing the scope of work. We're not changing the quality of the work. But we can change the way we get it done to make sure it's more efficient and we can make a profit on that project.
0: I'm talking about profit, and how do you do that? Do you share profit with your employees on a job-by-job basis, or are you sharing company-level profit, or what does that look like?
1: Yeah, so I've tried all different ways, you know, since a young guy, where it might be, you know, this project with the Smith job went really well, and you give everybody a bonus based on that. Uh, and sometimes it's just, i got, you know, hey, it went really well. Well, how do I know? We haven't played all the numbers up. But what, what we do is what I believe is true profit sharing. We have a 401k plan for our employees um, that we've been in place for a while now. And we do a 4% match with that as long as they're in the, in the system. Uh, but the reason I went to a 401k from a simple IRA many years ago was that it has a profit sharing side to it. True profit sharing, where for 12 months out of the year, Everybody in the company is working as efficiently as they can. And this goes to the person estimating. If you don't estimate a project well, like we mentioned earlier, it's not fair to the carpenters that are trying to build in that budget if it wasn't if, if it was accurate. So we wanna do every part of it as accurately as we can to produce the projects on, on budget so that we end up with a profit. And so how we find out the way the profit is, everything goes through the our certified public account and our CPA works through all the numbers and they can tell us this is what the, the, the profit was for whatever year, 2020. And then we can decide how much of that we can share back with the people and who better to share it with. And the people helped you make the profit. And so that's what I consider to be true profit sharing. Now, this is designed to go into retirement plans. Uh, so it's a little delayed gratification. It's not something that uh, they can, they can you can borrow against a 401k plan. I don't like that. And uh, I was, when I, we first set it up, I had it written so that you couldn't do that, but you know, it is their money. They can do what they want with it. But, uh, the goal is to help folks in the trades. Uh, and I think, especially in my market, there's very very few people that are in the trades that have a retirement plan. And so we help facilitate that by having one in place, but also with the 4% match plus what the employee puts in. And then we've done, we've been able to do seven, 10% profit sharing since we implemented this. And so, you know, 11 to 14%, uh, of their annual income on top of their annual income goes into their retirement. And then if the market does what it's done, you know, recently, it's great. Now markets go up and go down. I can't predict that, but if we get after it and we, we are putting that, that money in there, uh, when someone gets to the end of their career, they'll be able to do what they want to do. I'm, I'm a big believer in, and Dave is writing a book now about, you know, financial um, you know freedom. Uh, it doesn't have to be just for the builder or the contractor. It could be for those employees. And if they have a system in place, to put money into their retirement and let it grow, they'll kind of be financially free when they retire, or maybe even before that. And when when you know when we hire somebody new, we have them run some numbers and we'll show them if you do this and the company does this and this, uh, this is where you'll be at retirement. If you take somebody in their twenties and show them that they they look at it like that's impossible, well, it's it is possible. Uh, nobody can predict you know the future, but we can run some stats pretty you know, modest numbers and show them that they're going to be free to do what they want to do. So I view that as true profit sharing. Now there's other types of bonuses you can do throughout the years. And like we have, we do an anniversary bonus. Somebody's been with us and I'm still working on the one. My guy's going to be with me 20 years in March. Uh, I'm going to do something big. I'm going to do something big. It's going to surprise people. Uh, But we do, we'll give everybody a $500 cash bonus for every five years they work with us and, and things like that. Uh, you do Christmas mornings and things but those are just that's just just treating people good true profit sharing is based on real profit and that's what we've done and the great news is we've been profitable so we've been able to do that and so uh, it's it's good for everybody because we'll be as efficient as we can from start to finish on that project and we all get a piece of that to share at the end and so it's gone quite well and I, I think it also helps retain you know good people because even if somebody you know and, and I I've been blessed. Once I can get good people in, it seems like we can keep them working with us. Uh, But if somebody offered them a dollar or two more an hour, who cares, man? When they look at the other benefits and the retirement plan and the profit sharing, that means nothing to them. And and keeping them busy, one of the most important things you can do if you have in-house employees, keep them busy. Uh, You never want them to have to go do side work or anything to keep going. Uh, there's always always been work for the folks that work for me uh, and in fact I even we have some folks some of our guys like to work on Saturdays from seven to two they'll do little jobs maybe maybe go back and hang that storm door for a customer we built the house for that we just can't you know work it in during a, a work week uh, it's a great it's a great thing they pick up a little extra money by working on Saturday but uh, we take care of our customer at the same time so they don't have to go do their neighbor's you know roof on a weekend to make extra money they can work for us and like I mentioned earlier, never laid anybody off in all these years. And and we do live in Maine where it's winter is winter and it's, it can be challenging with the weather sometimes and, and been through all kinds of different you know markets over the years, but been able to keep everybody fully employed uh, and it's worked out quite well. And, uh, and, and so I love sharing back with the people that have helped me make the profit. I think it's a, uh, I, I think it's a bit of an obligation. Everybody has to choose, but for me, it, it's like this is this is like a, a no-brainer. And there's advantages to the to the builder too. You can you can invest more into your own retirement by doing profit sharing. And I, I see others, you know, small business folks that will set these up, uh, and they don't really want their employees to take advantage of it. It allows them to do what they want to do, and maybe they staple a sheet to their payroll once a year, saying, "Hey, you can sign up for this," but they don't explain it. We have 100% participation in our 401k plan, and uh, the, the folks that handle it, John Hancock say, how do you do that? And I, I'll tell you how we do it. You explain it. You, you, you show them generally, this is what we want you to, to do. We want you to be a part of this and they sincerely see that you're, you're sincere about it. And so they, they get involved with it. And I'm, I'm looking forward I've, I haven't never had anybody retire out of my company yet. Uh, but there's some folks that are getting closer to that. And I I'm looking forward to the, having somebody retire and build a, to realize that boy I am so glad that you know Wally put this in place and I'm able to go and do what I want to do now Social security will be you know grocery money or fun money if if it's even there you know they'll have their own uh, freedom based on their own retirement so that's why I do it everybody has to choose you know what makes sense for them but it's it's worked really well for me and I I'm glad that I had moved into that
0: just an absolute uh, avalanche of good ideas that you just through on us. Thank you for sharing that. Let's move on to our last question here. And this is another thing that David filled me in on your company. Said so you guys have an employee first mentality that the customer is not already, not always right. Now, uh, One of the big names in the business world that has that employee first mentality is Southwest Airlines. And they're ironically, also one of the few, you know, airlines that have maintained profitability when a lot of other airlines never did. So I'm curious if you can fill us in a little bit on that mentality and how you put it into practice.
1: Yeah. So we, we, we all hear customers always right. Customer comes first. I don't believe that. I think that's silly. If you put your employees first and you treat them that way, your customer is going to get taken care of. They're going to be number one, as far as the customer is concerned. I don't, I don't tell them like, Hey, you're number two, you know, our employees are number one. You don't need to just treat your employees really, really well. Uh, and, and they will take care of your customers. So that's the, that's the chain that I feel it should go through. And I've approached that. way. Now I run a small business. Um, it's more intimate, maybe than big businesses. They maybe have a different process, but you mentioned Southwest Airlines. I try to, I try to fly them because it's better than some of the other ones, right? Because the people are better because they're treated better. And so that's been my approach with it. And I feel like I have had, you know, a lot of great folks come into my company and want to stay because they know that this is a place that appreciates them. I think on the carpentry side, I, you know, I have a, a, a little bit more, uh, I definitely have a lot of grace for carpenters because I, I am one and was one. And so I really know what it's like to be out there day in and day out and all the different elements and the things and all the moving pieces Uh, I tell my elite carpenters all the time that they're one percenters and they, you know, when I first started saying it, they had no idea what I was talking about. And I tell it to (laughs) them like this, Hey, listen, I want you to, and this is something I think is very important as a professional builder, view yourself as a professional, carry yourself like a professional, charge like a professional, but have your people feel like they're professionals. And I tell them you guys can do something literally that 99% of this country can't do. You can take something from a concept or a design and build something to the standards we do. Now there may be some, maybe a higher percentage can build something, but to the standards we do that will literally last centuries. If it's done well, the right materials are used and the people, the, the, the future owners maintain it. That's a big part of it. How do I know that? Because there's inventory, housing inventory in the state of Maine that's that age. And uh, they were not built to the standards we have today. But some Great craftsmanship was put into them for sure. Uh, and so I want my, my people to feel like, yeah, I am special. I, I do something that's uh, going to last. How many professions can say that? That's why I think being a builder is so awesome. You uh, you literally can see what you did at the end of the day, whether you actually physically did it or you're the guy that's project management or you helped make the selections, whatever it is, you can see it. But on top of that, it's going to last a long, long time after after we're here. Um, and I one of the fun things I do is driving down the road, I have two daughters, younger daughters. They're Annabelle and Evelyn, they're 11 and thir- uh, 15 and driving by houses that we've built and say, Hey, we built that house. We built that house. We built that addition. We built that light commercial building. Uh, it's really such a cool thing. And so I want my, my employees to feel like they are, you, you are a special, uh, you know, profession. Uh, we, sometimes I think trades get overlooked. It's just like, oh, well, that's what you do because you didn't go to college or you didn't do something different. And for me, and, and other countries have a different view. I know uh, I built a, a project for a lady from Germany and she said, I cannot believe that in this country you don't view the trades just like you do accountants and lawyers and even doctors. Uh, in in, their, in that country, they they view the professional plumber is uh, the equal to some of those other professions. So here we have a little different take on it. So you have to, you know, help your employees understand they are you can do something that others can't, and you should be proud of that and you should do your very best job. And you think they're gonna to want to do the best job? You bet they are. So taking really good care of people, having them know that uh, you have their back. It's been really, really rare that we've ever had any situation where, where a client or homeowner you know had a problem with something that one of our carpenters or carpenters did, but um, I will never throw my carpenters under the bus if, if somebody is is not accurate in what they said you know so i'll take one for the team so to speak and i'll take the you know the hit and say hey i must not have explained it well if there was an issue we'll take care of it but i think if you treat your people like that and they know i don't have to worry you know this wall is going to you know back me up and this company's going to take care of me uh you will get really great people that don't want to work anyplace else and they want to they look forward to coming in and working with you uh, i have a great group of people and this is my gut check if there's anybody that works for me that I don't want to meet in the hallway, uh, that's probably the person that shouldn't be in my company. And we've all made mistakes or uh, people maybe have changed. I haven't for many years because I've developed this a whole different topic of how to hire, you know, developing really good job descriptions and going through that process of, of bringing someone into your company. Uh, You just don't hire them because they can fog a mirror. You need to hire the right person, not just with the skill set, but also with the, uh, you know, the personality and they're going to fit your culture and things. But I have just a great group of people, so who better to you know to take care of and treat well than the people that actually work for you? And uh, I don't see a downside to it. Uh, we we have an annual company meeting in January, and our, it's coming up shortly at the end of this month. Uh, one of the things I do is I I we give everybody a sheet that has like five questions. You know, what are some accomplishments we had for the previous year? In this case, two thousand twenty. Uh, what some goals we can set for two thousand twenty one? And I really want them to be. You know, part of that. And we'll put a PowerPoint together and we'll include that. So they feel like they're having some say. And some of the best things that we've implemented didn't come from Wally. I don't know everything. Uh, it may come from the, the people that are out there in the field doing it, or, or maybe my estimator has a better way of, of doing something. And so uh, that's a very rewarding thing too, when they see that, you know, not only do we, can we suggest these things, but they actually listen and they implement them.
0: Wally, we're bumping up against our time allotment here, but man, I want to. we got to do another episode. You are full of, of, um, of gold and this is great stuff. I, this is one of those episodes I think people need to listen to two or three times to try to pick up on all the different ideas and practices that you threw out there. So I really appreciate your time. Before we go, share with us where we can find you online.
1: Yeah, so we have a website. It's uh, we've abbreviated it now. It's it's uh, Wally J uh, I'm sorry, I should have gave you the abbreviated one, WJSbuilders.com. Uh, so it's wjsbuilders.com, used to be wallyjstablesbuilders.com. Either one's gonna find us. Uh, and uh, well like I said, we're located on the coast of Maine, uh, Brunswick, Maine uh it's uh it's just a wonderful place i think everybody should come visit it and spend some money <laughs> tourism's big you know COVID 19 is, is beat tourism up for sure but uh we just a lot of people are, are actually migrating to maine right now because of um you know COVID getting out of the cities and so forth one thing i did want to say jared is i don't want anybody to think that i have it all figured out or that i'm the, think i'm the smartest guy i can tell you this i am passionate about our industry i believe in it i i'm a, i'm very proud to be a building contractor I think it is one of the most rewarding professions to be in. And I also think that it can be a wealth builder and that might be something. And that's what David and Gerstel and I, you know, really connect on. Uh, I view my company as the goose that lays the the golden eggs. And then you can do what you will with them. Uh, If you put them into real estate or you put them in the market or or do something with them, or you can buy a a sports car that's not, it's going to depreciate. That's up to you. But for me, that's, what's uh, been very rewarding. And then you can help other people. Uh, COVID 19 brought that out. Uh, there was a lot of people that were struggling uh, in our area that you can help. They don't even know it. They need to know you helped them, but you're in a position to help them because you're, you're financially sound, because you're debt free, and you have a, a profit producing small business. And I really wish more people that are in our profession could achieve that. And I think there's Methods and ways of doing it. It takes work, but what's wrong with work, right? It's okay to work hard, work smart, work hard, and uh, do a great job, and uh, it can come back to you. But so many folks, uh, they need to listen—not not just to Wally, but to all these other podcasts that you've done with these folks. You know, uh, the fellow that does the profit first wrote the book. You know, he's absolutely right. Don't just put cola faucet in your, you know, your construction unit. Call out it because it might be a three hundred dollar faucet or a nine hundred dollar faucet. You need to put the model number down there and the finish on it. So. I think we can learn uh, from others and, uh, and, I, and I hope I can share a couple of nuggets, but I, I, I humbly say that uh, I don't have everything figured out, but I am always trying to get better at what I do uh, and run the best company I can. And I appreciate you
0: uh, having me on. Yeah. Well, we've got to do it again. Wally. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks. Catch you later.